So how you doing? How you doing? I'm doing all right. My name is Bill Reeser. I'm the pastor of Encounter. I want to welcome everyone out to the Sanctuary Church at the Father's House. I want to welcome all of our friends online uh, from around the country. And uh, we got people tuning in from New Mexico to Kentucky, Illinois tonight, all around the country. And we're grateful for our online family. And so I want to get right into it. Uh, we're going to pray real quick, and then we're going to get right, in, right into tonight's talk. Father, we just thank you so much uh, for the, the greatest story ever told, and that's the story of your son, Jesus Christ. And, but I also praise you tonight for the stories that you give us in the Bible. They're, n- they're not just stories. They're real-life events with real-life lessons that, that are alive and true today that we can apply today and learn from and live out and be blessed today as they were 2,000 plus years ago. And so, God, we just thank you for your word that, that, that so many things in this life are going to pass away, but your, your words will remain forever. And so, God, we just thank you for your word tonight. We just thank you for Encounter, everyone watching. And I just pray that people would be encouraged tonight, that faith would rise up, and that the, of all the bridges that we drive over, the bridge of faith would be the, the bridge that we not only drive over, but it's where we would find the supernatural power of God uh, being activated in our lives. And I pray that blessing over everyone watching and that's here tonight at Encounter. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so uh, tonight's talk is another extension of anchor number two, believe that God's love and power can restore hope and healing. We call it the faith anchor because it starts with the word believe. And that has a lot to do with faith. Tonight it's all about faith. Now, for years, I've always been a storyteller. I love telling stories. I've been telling stories forever. When my, my little baby daughter, Kristen, uh, who's actually 30 years old, and her birthday is actually going to be on Easter Sunday, April Fool's Day this year. She'll be 31. When she was a little baby, I would tell her these elaborate stories, these bedtime stories. And she would love these stories. I mean, I would, just sit, I would just come up with all these crazy stories that she would love. I don't know whether she might have enjoyed it then, you know, but it might have messed her up for years after that. <laughs> but, uh, but I love telling stories. And even after I got saved, I love telling stories. I love giving accounts. And some of the stories in my life are unbelievable, just like so many of your stories. And everyone has a testimony. Matter of fact, I got a, my first pastor's job when I went into full-time ministry, I'm not so sure that the pastor hired me because I, I was so much called to ministry, which I, I, I know and believe I was, uh, but he, lo- he would love to hear me tell stories. So every meeting we go to, Bill, tell this story, tell that story, tell the story about how y- your wife first came to visit your family in New York on Easter and uh, how, you, how you, your mother came out and almost killed your brother, almost killed your uncle, you know, with a butcher knife that day. I, she, he, he would love to hear me tell all these stories. And so tonight, I'm going to share a story with you that's not this made-up story, that's not some crazy story about my family. Tonight, I'm going to share a Bible story with you that's just one of the most powerful stories I was sharing with, uh, with Pastor Marty today, that I wish someone would have made a movie of this story. I, I wish someone would took an account of all the events and everything behind this story. Now, I want, to leave, I want to give you a little background about this story. But as I told you several different times, uh, about 17, 18 years ago, I did a three-year study on prayer, where I just studied the, the Bible as a book of prayer. And I said, Lord, show me every single prayer in this book. Show me what people prayed, how they prayed, what was in that prayer, why you answered that prayer, and how I can pray that prayer or that type of prayer and have the same results in my life. I got to tell you, I did that for about three years, and the Bible came alive to me. And many of those prayer lessons that I learned were in the Old Testament. And I'm going to share an Old Testament story with you tonight uh, from 2 Chronicles 20. Tonight's a night where you really, every night at Encounter, you really need to bring your Bible. Don't ever be ashamed to come in here without a Bible. Now, here's the good news. If you, if you didn't come with a Bible, there are plenty of Bibles uh, around in a seat in front of you. Uh, they're New Testament. Are they New Testaments? They're New Testaments. Don't worry about it. Just watch me. Stay here. Stay with me. Stay with me. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. We're going to go back. We're going to go back, and we're going to go left of the New Testament, so keep that New Testament Bible closed. I'm going to share a Bible story with you. Uh, 
that's going to encourage you in your faith. Because again, tonight's talk is how to find hope in impossible situations. Now, I just want you to imagine this first before we get into the story in Second Chronicles. I'm going to go through 30 verses tonight. And just another quick thing. You've got a handout tonight. It's, it's, it's a handout with lessons learned. And we're going to talk about King Jehoshaphat. I like calling him Jehoshaphat, but really Jehoshaphat. I want to name my dog Jumping Jehoshaphat. My wife wouldn't let me. Uh, uh, but there are lessons. Learned. Here's, what I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. As I share tonight's story, and from the verses that I share, if you do have a Bible with you, I want you to connect the verse or something that I say in the verse with the lesson that you learn. And we'll do a quick review of them at the end, sort of playing a little Bible game with you tonight. But here's what I want you to imagine before we get into the story. Imagine being in a situation where you're under attack and you realize that there simply is no way out. I'm, I'm looking to the left because it seems like everybody's sitting here tonight, and that's okay. And you realize there's no way out. On a serious note, imagine all the students in Florida yesterday in those classrooms, hearing those shots, and the thought that comes into their head saying, how am I going to get out of here alive? Imagine the teachers. Imagine all the, everyone at the school. I think of the, the best story that I heard out of it was one of the coaches just shielded himself and put himself in front of as many kids as he could to just take all the bullets, knowing that he was going to die. One of the most heroic stories I've heard in a long time. But imagine being in that situation. Imagine all of our military heroes who put themselves in the line of fire each and every day that get, that get thrown into impossible situations where just, they just realize in that moment that there's no way out. Imagine all of our brave California firefighters who run into the flames instead of from the flames, knowing that those fires and flames can change direction. Just like that, we've got some friends from Santa Barbara that drove down tonight. You know what I'm talking about. And, so, uh, and as extreme as those examples are, we've all faced impossible situations in our lives that threaten our lives. I mean, just myself personally, and I know there are thousands of stories here. I've been in car wrecks. I've had guns and knives pulled on me. I've had two guns put to my head where both triggers wouldn't go off. Gangs have attacked me. Had a gang corner me one time and just made slits on my tongue just because I beat up one kid one day. I was sexually assaulted at 12 years old. And on top of all of that, I married a girl from Eastern Kentucky who's from the Hatfield clan, and I'm still alive. <laughs> but, on a, but on a serious note, I've also experienced personal, relational, financial, vocational, physical, and most importantly, and the most, most of the attacks that have come on my life have been spiritual attacks. And all of those attacks were designed to take me out, to destroy me. And like many, like you, many of those situations seem hopeless without a way out. Now, looking back on every single one of those events, I've got to confess something to you. I didn't always know what to do. Many times I felt powerless. And the thought of feeling powerless was the worst state of mind I could ever reach. Or so I thought. Now, hold that thought for a second. And many of those events took place before I was saved. I had no faith, nor did I want to tap into any faith that was available. Now, a lot of those things happened when I grew up in East Harlem in New York City. And one of the things I appreciate about growing up in New York City was New York City has some of the greatest bridges that, you'll ever, that have ever been built in this world. I mean, there's so many bridges. There's the Triborough Bridge that connects Manhattan to the Bronx. There's the George Washington Bridge that connects New Jersey to the Bronx. There's the Verrazano Bridge that connects Staten Island to Brooklyn. The 59th Street Bridge, which connects Midtown Manhattan to Queens. There's the Brooklyn Bridge that connects Lower Manhattan to Brooklyn. And me and Carolyn lived right close two minutes away from the Throgs Neck and Whitestone Bridge that connected North Bronx to Eastern Long Island or or northern Queens. These were all amazing bridges. And each one of the bridges in New York City gets you from one part of the city to another. Without them, it'd be virtually impossible to get where you want to go. And, that's, and realistically, New York City would shut down without those bridges. I mean, they get you to where you want to go. I read about a bridge this week in China that was more than 100 miles long. 
Imagine that. You don't want to go on that bridge with a quarter tank of gas. You see, bridges are built to solve the problem of reaching places that we can't get to on our own. And whenever I go home to New York, one thing is for sure, I'm going to go over one, two, possibly three of those bridges on every single trip to see all the people that I, that I want to see. Now, last week we talked about how we're disconnected from God. We're always trying to find our way back to God. We talked about, last week we talked about how it's so important not to have an experience at church or with God, but to have an encounter with God. We need to have an encounter with God. And the problem with so many people having a real encounter with God is that we feel disconnected. It's man's oldest problem. We've been trying to find our way back to God for generations, for years. But Jesus built a bridge for us to cross over so we can have a personal relationship with our Father through his son, Jesus Christ. He built that bridge for us. Now, to go over a bridge in New York City, you're going to have to pay a toll. To go over the bridge to connect to God, it's free. It came with a price. It came with the death of God's son, Jesus. But it's free to us. Grace is free. Now, but it does take something for us to cross over that bridge, and that's faith. It requires faith for us to enter the bridge and to cross over that bridge. One more thing about bridges in New York City. If you don't have what's called an easy pass, you could get stuck on that bridge for a very long time. You see, there are toll lanes and there are easy pass lanes. The easy pass lanes get you, get you where you want to be much quicker. And when you get to, if you go on one of these bridges in New York City, there's about eight lanes. And about six or seven of them are these easy toll lanes. And there's one, maybe two, toll lanes where you have to pay, but the traffic is backed up sometimes as long as the bridge. And they're long bridges. They're always backed up where you have to pay cash. It's so much more difficult to get through that and across that bridge if you don't have one of those easy passes. Now, for every bridge that God wants us to cross, there's a hard way and there's an easy way. The hard way is to try and drive to get to the other side of that bridge without faith fueled by unbelief. See, that's called the toll road. You know why it's called the toll road? Because it will take its toll on you. That's why. Listen, Jesus put it this way. There's two accounts of Jesus telling this story in Mark and Matthew where he tells us that we can speak to the mountains in our lives. And by faith, that's one bridge. Those mountains have to be moved, and they have to go away. Another bridge that he talks about in Mark chapter 9 is, but first forgive anyone. So forgiveness is another bridge, but you can't forgive unless you have faith. Otherwise, it's not real forgiveness. See, when you have faith, then you can truly forgive someone because then you realize by faith how much you've been forgiven through Jesus Christ. So everything is a faith issue. Everything is fueled by faith. Everything. Now, here's the thing. Here's why it takes its toll on you. See, you're either speaking to mountains by faith or you're climbing mountains and you're paying the toll because that'll wear you out all your life. And God tells us that we're to speak to these mountains. But here's the deal. If you get an easy pass of faith, not that life will be easy, but if you get an easy pass of faith, It'll get you to where you need to get to with many perks, many blessings, and on top of that, experience the supernatural power of God. See, that's a bridge that few people cross over. You see, since then, since all my problems and trials that I used to go to where I thought being powerless and weak was a bad thing, I have learned how to take what I thought was a weak and feeble response of being powerless and not knowing what to do all the time, I've learned to make that one of the most powerful prayers that have produced miraculous results in my life, miraculous events in my life. And here's the bridge that God wants us to all cross over tonight. It's not only this bridge of faith, but it's this bridge of faith where we're going to experience the supernatural power of God in our lives. You know what I've noticed about that bridge? 
It's hardly crowded. There's not a lot of traffic on that bridge. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Christians driving on bridges, but they're not experiencing the supernatural power of God. They're not experiencing the miracles of God, the deliverance of God. Because look at this. Last time I saw this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God hasn't changed, what do you think has changed? If he hasn't changed, then we must have changed. And God, and, and God says, no, 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 no. He says, the things I've done years ago, I want to do today in your life. And that's why we're going to share this story in 2 Chronicles 20. I'm going to go through 30 verses. I'm just going to go a little old school on you. I'm just going to read them. And some of the things that I learned uh, throughout the years from this story that God revealed to me, I'm going to share with you. Now, probably it's important for me to talk about who this jumping Jehoshaphat is. Now, when you study Old Testament stories and you look at kings, typically there were two kings. It was a good king or a bad king. If you were a bad king, you, you basically you, you weren't following God. You were into all these pagan practices. And typically you got destroyed. And, and typically you got, you got annihilated. But this was a good king. Now, he wasn't a perfect king. He made mistakes along the way. King, Je king Jehoshaphat made alliances he shouldn't have made. So he fumbled and stumbled, just like many of us, just like the disciples along the way. But it's important to note that before that, in chapter 17, it says this, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and did not worship the images of Baal. He sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the practices of the kingdom of Israel. You say, Israel? Well, there were times when Israel didn't follow God. There were times when Israel was in total rebellion. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom of Judah. So he was very successful. He had God's favor on his side. And, and, and it's right after Jehoshaphat makes this alliance and he comes back to his senses and he's, and he's working uh, with, with Levites, which is, we're going to talk about Levites in, in a few minutes, and he uses them uh, to judge his people. And, and Levites were, were, were an important part uh, of, of the kingdom back then. And so he's being surrounded by prophets, by Levites, by good people, and he's got God's favor on his side. And so he's doing what's right in the, in the, in the Lord's sight right now. And all of a sudden, in, in chapter 20, verse 1, here's how it starts. It says, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Mayunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you beyond the Dead Sea. This is it's sort of like a little lesson in here, if you're following along. There are, there are sometimes when armies come against you for the things that you do that are not right, some of the dumb decisions that we make, some of the sinful things that we do. And sometimes we just get attacked for doing the right thing. In this case, King Jehoshaphat and Judah are going to get attacked just because he's following God. These are the armies of God. And this is no normal army. This is a vast army. And this is the, this, these are the Moabites, the Amorites, the Mayunites. And many of you know what some ites are. Maybe you have a spouseite. Maybe you have a mother-in-law-ite. Okay? Maybe you have a, maybe you have a boss-ite. Maybe you don't have a socialite, but you have a, a, a socialite, someone on Facebook that you know is always posting something crazy. Maybe you have a politicalite, you know, a Democratite, a Republicanite, okay, an independentite, whatever. Okay? You have a lot of ites out there. All of us have ites. They're constantly coming against you. They're constantly attacking you. And for some reason, you can't get rid of these ites. Okay, because they're all over the place. They're like cockroaches. You can't get rid of them. Okay, because they're con constantly coming after you. That's a New York thing. We don't call them roaches. Okay, you can't kill these things. You could drop a nuclear bomb. Everyone will be dead. The only people that will be living is are simply the cockroaches are going to be left. That's it. That's it. Now, if I put this in, in modern times, I want you to see this response. It says this, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. Jehoshaphat was alarmed by this news. Now, I just want to stop right there because you're thinking, well, didn't, weren't there wars all the time in the Old Testament? Well, this is the first time that all the enemies of God got together to form one alliance to basically wipe out Judah and Jerusalem. Were, this was unwinnable. 
This, this, there's no way out of this situation. If I could modernize it and, and, and sort of give an example, if this were today, this would be the example. Imagine on your phone you're getting a notice or when you turn on your television tonight, you get a notice saying that Russia and China have formed an alliance and they have declared war on the United States. Would you be alarmed by that? Sure you would be. Imagine 15 minutes later, you get another notice saying China and Russia have just dispatched their entire nuclear arsenal headed for every state in the United States in every city. Would you be alarmed by that? Imagine 15 minutes later, you get another notice saying, oh, by the way, our defense mechanisms are down and the missiles are going to hit in 15 minutes. What would you do? This is the situation he's faced with. This is, this is not like Myra's cat, you, you, you know, Puffy having a pissy fit. This is a real situation here. This is a real, I'm going to die if something doesn't happen and if God doesn't intervene. Myra, put your cat away. Okay. Here's what happened. Chow down. Okay, Jehoshaphat was alarmed by this news. That's okay. Who wouldn't get startled? Who wouldn't be alarmed? Who wouldn't be shaken? But watch what he does. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't have a meeting. He, 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 doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't call up his homies. Okay? He, this is what he does. Immediately, he was alarmed by this news and sought the Lord for guidance. He went right to God first. He went right to God first. He sought God's face. He sought God first. And then he did this, and this is wise. He said he also gave orders that everyone throughout Judah should observe a fast. That's smart. I was thinking about all the, all the stuff that's been happening around us. Uh, wouldn't it be awesome if... You know, if the president just said, you know what, instead of this policy, that policy, we had a national day of prayer. This is what he does. He's calling for a, a, a prayer meeting for the whole nation. That's what he's calling for. He's calling for a prayer meeting for the whole nation. He says this, he also gave orders that everyone throughout Judah should observe a fast. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord. They didn't, came, they didn't come to seek King Jehoshaphat. Everyone came to seek the Lord. Everyone came to say, God, it's you or nothing. And here's what happened. Jehoshaphat stood before the people of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. So they got a new courtyard. You know, it's a brand new, it's a brand new building. It's a brand new area. And he prayed this prayer. Now, before I get into the prayer, I just want to say this. There are a lot of components in this prayer. There, there's, there's so many things in this prayer that I, I, don't, I don't want you to ask. Matter of fact, there's four components in this prayer that, that I want you to just keep, keep on talking about uh, and keep write, write it out, take notes as I'm talking and all the things that I'm going to reveal to you. There are so many elements in this prayer. You have to understand that, that, that this is a systematic, methodical prayer because God is a systematic, methodical God. And, and King Jehoshaphat knows this. And he prays a specific way. And there's something in this prayer. This is the long prayer, and I'm going to break down the entire prayer for you. And there's something in each part of this prayer that we can take and live out. And if we, and if we pray like this, I'm telling you, you're going to experience the supernatural power of God. Here's the first thing King Jehoshaphat says. He prayed, this is how he starts his prayer, O oh Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. That's how he starts. Just like Jesus told us to pray. When you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, God, you are the ruler of heaven. You rule and reign in heaven. You alone are God. This is what he starts with. He said, O oh, oh Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are God. Imagine that. You know, that's a great prayer to pray. You alone are God. See, when you declare that, you're saying there's no other God. There's no other, you know, I'm not going to pray to you today, okay, 
and, and go see a psychic tomorrow, read my horoscope on Wednesday, okay, and hope to hear from you, at, you, you know, during my yoga stretches. I know that you alone are God. You rule and reign. You spoke the world and the universe into existence. You named every star. You hold me in the palm of your hand. You alone are God. That's a great way to start. That's a great way to start your prayers. He says, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the, not only that, you are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and you are mighty and no one can stand against you. He's acknowledging God's power. He's acknowledging God's sovereignty. And he's giving God his rightful place. Now he's not doing this. You, now we're going to get into this. He's not doing this to remind God of who God is. He's doing that for another reason I'm going to talk about in a second. So you're the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. So that's how he starts, his, he starts with acknowledgement, adoration, and gives God his rightful place. Then the prayer turns. And here's, where the, here's the first turn in the prayer. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people arrived? As if you would, the first time I read that, it's like, is he praying as if God forgot? Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple for you. They said, whenever we're faced with any calamity such as war, disease, famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us. You will hear us and you will rescue us. I used to think that was such an arrogant, dangerous, cocky prayer. And I said, who is this guy reminding God of promises that he made? And that's what he's doing. He knows that God's a systematic God, a methodical God, but he also knows that God's a God who makes covenant promises that God would never break. In reality, King Jehoshaphat is not reminding God. He's stating the facts clearly, and he's reminding himself of not only who God is, but how he operates and how God is bound to the covenant promises that he makes. So he's doing it more for himself after he acknowledges who God is, which, by the way, is a great way to pray. You see, if you know God's covenant promises that he's made in your life, you don't arrogantly remind God in prayer of those covenant promises. You can state those promises but you're doing it in a way where you remind yourself of those covenant promises that God has made. And by doing so, you're acknowledging not only who God is, but how he operates. And you're going to experience something in miraculous and supernatural when you understand how God... You're never going to understand all of his ways. But you can understand when he makes a covenant. See, what he's talking about is that God said that we're, we're all, and he is part of a blessing to a thousand generations. He's part of a covenant that God made to Abraham that he would protect and bless for a thousand years. We're part of that covenant promise today. Did you know that? We're part of the blessing and the covenant promises that God made to Abraham today. So we can go to God and say, God, didn't you say? that I was part of that blessing that you grafted me in. It's okay to pray that way. So here's where the prayer takes another turn. And you would think, again, there's boldness to this prayer. And he says, and now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You wouldn't let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and didn't destroy them. It's part of that covenant promise that he made. He, he said, listen, if you're not, and, and by the way, you're not going to come against anyone that I made a covenant promise against either. 
Jehoshaphat knew that. He said, you wouldn't let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and didn't destroy them. Now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of your land. That's smart. You know, a lot of times they say, well, you know, we go to God and we ask God to bless our finances. We, and, and we think, think money is ours. We think, that we, we think we've earned our paycheck when every good gift comes from God. Everything comes from God. It says, look, it says this, now see how they, how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land. We're living in what you gave us, which you gave us as an inheritance. And here comes the request. Those are all the reminders. Those are all the reminders of God's covenant promises. Those are all the reminders of how God works systematically, methodically, and is faithful to a thousand generations. And now here comes the request. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? Oh, our God, won't you stop them? And here it is. This is, this is I have said, and I still believe this to this day, that this prayer right here, this, this next verse, these next two sentences, may be one of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray from the entire Bible. And here it is. Lord, we are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We are powerless. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. But we're looking to you for help. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. That's a powerful prayer. That's a prayer packed with faith, with power, acknowledging God's power, sovereignty. And that's saying, you know what? I tried playing God, but I'm powerless. I don't know what to do. I don't have an answer. I don't have a way out. But I'm looking to you for help. Another text, another translation says, but our eyes are fixed on you. But our eyes are fixed on you. In other words, I'm not taking my eyes off the prize. It's either you or nothing. Now here's the response. I love this. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, which always baffled me. You know, if there are children, who are the little ones? You know, I always think of the movie Elf with the guy chasing after Buddy on the table that's going to attack him. You know, anyway. Uh, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord, one person got that. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. Now, this guy has a, has a rich lineage. He said his name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was the descendant of Asaph. Now, Levites, again, King Jehoshaphat surrounded himself with Levites. Levites typically were given the job of worship in the temple. Did you know that? They were in charge of all the music, the worship in the temple. Another practice of most Levites back then was they were used to, most Levites would give God a thank or praise offering three times a day. Just think about how much better your life would be if you gave God a thank offering three times a day. You know, you know what would disappear in your life? Ingratitude would disappear in your life. If you just thanked God three times a day, if you set your watch for three times a day, when you wake up, in the middle of the day, in the evening, just say, God, thank you. Just thank you. I don't care what my circumstances are, just thank you. The Levites did that every day, three times a day. That's what they did. So it's no, it's no wonder that that, that that God used someone from the lineage of a Levite to speak to. And he says that all the men of Judah stood before the Lord and the little ones. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of them. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat. Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. That's not, he's trying to call now, but that's not, that's not, that, that's not the one. Okay, this is what the Lord says. He says this, do not, notice the first thing he says is do not be afraid. You know, it's amazing when the Lord speaks that sometimes the first thing he has to say is don't be afraid. 
you know, hundreds of times throughout Scripture, there's don't be afraid, do not fear, you, you, you know. And I love that. It's the first thing he says. But watch this. He says, do not be afraid, and don't be discouraged by this mighty army. And you may want to write this one down, for the battle is not yours. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You know, there are some battles that you're in, they're not your battle to fight. Some battles are reserved just for God. They really are. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. Now, it, now even though he, he's saying the battle's not yours, but God's, he, God still gives us instructions of what to do. And that's in this prayer as well, too. It says this in verse 17, but you will not even need to fight. But take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. You know, if that's all you ever hear, and if, if, if I didn't even expand on anything, if I just read this story, that's just a powerful lesson in itself. And let me just say it again. The battle's not yours but God's. You will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Stand still and watch the Lord's victory. You know how many times I've been put in a corner and that's all I've had? But each time God has come through. Every single time. He goes on to say, he is with you. We think, where's God? How many times have you prayed that prayer? Oh God, where are you? Uh, you know, next time you pray a prayer, God, where, where are you? Just, just you, may, you may want to remind yourself, ask this question, who moved? And it ain't God. Amen. He's always there. It's just a, a better prayer to pray is God, instead of where are you, say, forgive me for leaving you. Forgive me for, for grieving your Holy Spirit. Forgive me from not spending time in your presence. He says this, He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out there tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Here's King Josaphat's response. Then King Josaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. Who wouldn't, after hearing from God like that? Who wouldn't? I'd be on, I'd be on my knee. I'd, I'd be, okay. You're God, I'm not. That's it. Watch what he does. He bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites, there they go, the Levites, I love these guys, okay, from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord. That's what they do. They're just a praising group of people. They stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. I love that. It wasn't like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. No, it was, it was pretty loud. It was like, you know, we just heard from you. It was a victory chant. It was like, I'm not going to do it. It was loud. <laughs> Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, he's been enlightened. He's fired up. He heard from, he had a problem that he couldn't solve. He knew he was going to die. Now he knows that God's going to fight his battle for him. He prayed. He fasted. He had a, a national prayer meeting. God spoke. God showed up. God said, the battle's not yours but mine. You won't even need to fight. He's fired up. And here's what he says. I mean, he's, he, I mean, he's fired up. King Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Here's that word again, believe. Believe in the Lord your God, and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, the people that speak for God, and you will succeed. And then he puts this crazy game plan together. After consulting the leaders of the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Singers! To walk ahead of the army. He's still going into battle. He's still going to face this vast army. And yet he sends singers. You know what that means? He knew that God was going to take care of them. He didn't know how. But he knew. Might as, well just go, might, might as well just go down worshiping. We already won. I don't know how God's going to do this, but we already won. Now watch this. Don't miss this. After consulting the leaders of the people, the king appointed singers 
to walk ahead of the army singing to the Lord and praising his name for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord as faithful love endures forever. Thanks to, that's where that song came from. Give thanks to the Lord as faithful love endures forever. Many of you heard, heard me tell the story of when my wife got diagnosed with cancer. And not many of you heard the good news about Mandy's daughter, Bridget, who was just declared cancer-free, that you've been praying for. Exactly. It's a miracle of God. A miracle of God. Thank you for all your prayers for Sweet B. But I'll never forget the day that my wife was diagnosed when she was told that she had cancer. We came down from the doctor's office. She looked at me, and the first words out of her mouth was, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord, for he has done great things for me. She praised God before she even prayed to God. And God heard her praise before he heard her prayers. And he healed my wife, and to this day, she's walking cancer-free by the grace of God as well. God is good. Now, don't miss this. And I prayed this before. I've prayed this in courts for people. It says this, at the moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord, the Lord, it's my New York accent, I'm sorry, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. What? These are all the, this was an alliance, three different nations coming together. Remember, all the ites got together. Moabites, Ammonites, Mayunites, they all got together, they formed this vast army, and they're all marching together to take out Judah and Jerusalem, and go, at the moment they began to sing, while they're marching, they said, I'll kill you instead. Boom, boom, they start fighting against each other. That's how it happened. That's how it happened. They start killing each other as they're marching towards Judah and Jerusalem. At the moment, the moment they began to sing, now watch this. It gets better. The armies of Moab and Arab turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. It's a, it's a bloodbath. After they finished off the army of Seir, they said, we'll just kill each other. They killed each other. They killed everybody. This is crazy. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, there were dead bodies lying on the ground for as far as they could see. Not a single one, not, not one person, not one person, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Josaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. That's the bonus. Not only does God wipe out the enemy, but he leaves the spoils. He always does. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they can carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, and when, and, and when, I, go, when I go to Israel, by God's grace, I'm going. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. I want to go there. I want to be at that place. But you know what? You don't have to go there tonight. You don't have to catch a plane to go to the Valley of Blessing. The Valley of Blessing is right here, and it's yours for the taking. Let me finish the story, and then we'll wrap it up. Verse 27. Then they returned to Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat leading them. Don't miss this. It's in your lessons. Full of joy that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. Full of joy. See, when God answers your prayer, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'll, I'll raise my hand. I'll try to say, oh, praise God for answering that prayer. Thank you, Lord, for getting me out. Thank you, Lord. But the joy leaves. And it's almost like we expect God to answer. You know, we've lost the wonder that God still does signs and wonders and he does miraculous supernatural things like healing sweet bee and all these different things today. And, and it's, God, God does so many miracles. But it says this, he returned full of joy that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. Now watch this. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, trumpets, karaoke boxes, okay? And they proceeded to the temple of the Lord 
when the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom, don't miss this, was at peace. For as God had given him rest on every side. That was the blessing. See, the blessing of God is always his peace. When you seek God like that, and God answers like that, if, if, if unthinkable joy doesn't come over you, remember the joy of the Lord is your strength, and you let that joy sustain you, you'll be at rest, and you'll have unspeakable peace every single time. So here's my question to you as we bring this thing to a close. I was watching a movie with Pastor Cruz the other night, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, and uh, I was watching Rogue Nation uh, the other night, and uh, one of the lines that, I, that they said over, the, the only thing that they repeated all, all throughout the movie was, desperate times call for desperate measures. Desperate times call for desperate measures. You know, these are desperate times for us. You know, there, there are times when, as, as, a, as, a, as a pastor and ministry leader, there are times when I always know what to do. There are times I don't know what to do. But I know this, God is faithful. I know this, that God has made promises. I know this, God's given us a vision. I know this, that God will come through every single time. When I pray a prayer, I mean it. Lord, I'm powerless over this enemy. I'm powerless over this situation. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. I'm looking to you for help. And so this coming Monday, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask every single one of you. I didn't talk about it earlier because I sort of just threw the word out there because I read it. He gathered, not only did he gather a nationwide prayer meeting, he called for a nationwide fast. That's what he did. And I'm calling for a 40-day fast for everyone that's part of Encounter starting this Monday, which I believe is the 19th, and 40 days will run right to Good Friday. And so here's what a fast is. Okay, a fast is simply giving up something that you're dependent upon for a period of time so that you can be dependent upon God for that specific thing for those 40 days. A fast is not, you know, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be on Instagram. You know, I'm talking about something that you really need for 40 days that you're going to give up so that you can seek the face of God you can get into God's presence and you can experience the supernatural power of God not only for yourself but for this ministry of encounter and I just want to challenge you one of the things that I love doing as a 40 day press is fast is reading draw the circle I, I love this book I've done this 40 day fast twice I'm going to do it again a third time. I encourage you to get the book. It's sort of 40 devotionals of encouragement, of prayers, of principles that I've, some of the principles that I've laid out tonight that you can pray so that you can experience the supernatural power of God. Desperate times call for desperate measures. We need to seek God's face, not only for our ministry, but for this country, for this community. And I want to challenge you. I, it, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to tell you exactly what to give up. But I challenge you and I encourage you to do a 40-day prayer and fasting period with God. 40 days. Because there's something about praying together. There's something about when people come together. You know, the Bible says, if two of you would agree to touch anything you ask for, it shall be given to you of my Father which is heaven. The Bible says one could put a thousand in flight, two, ten thousand. There's exponential power when people come together and pray. And I'm going to be sending out stuff, and some direction, some initiatives, some things that you can specifically be praying for. I'm going to pray, I'm going to read a prayer story out of day 39 out of this book to give you a modern day version of God doing the supernatural. And then we're going to enter in a time of worship. I want to read this to you. And here's what it says. That was an Old Testament story. This is a modern day story of, 
of us crossing over a bridge of faith and, it's, and experiencing the supernatural power of God. And here's where the story starts. It says this. A few years ago, I heard author Ken Gaub share one of his most amazing prayer testimonies I've ever heard. He and his family were driving on I-75 near Dayton, Ohio, when they decided to stop at a restaurant. Ken's wife and children went right into the restaurant while he stretched his legs. As he walked past the nearby gas station, he heard a payphone ringing. Stay with me now. The phone kept ringing, and Ken thought it might be some sort of emergency, so he answered it. He heard the voice of an operator say, who said, long distance for Ken Gaub. Ken almost passed out. He said, you've got to be kidding me. I was just walking in the middle of nowhere and heard this phone ringing. The confused operator said, is Ken Gaub there? After making sure there weren't any candid cameras, he said, this is Ken Gaub. A voice on the other side of the line said, Mr. Gaub, my name is Millie. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, but I need your help. She went on to explain that she had written a suicide note, but had decided to give prayer one more shot. She said, God, I don't really want to do this. And as she prayed, she remembered seeing Ken Galb on television. And she thought to herself, if I could just talk with him, he could help me. But this was pre-Google, making it extremely difficult to track him down. And as she prayed, some numbers popped into her head, and she wrote them on a piece of paper. She couldn't help but think, wouldn't it be wonderful if God was giving me Ken's number? Then Millie said, I decided to try calling the number, and I couldn't believe it when the operator said it was you. Millie asked Ken, are you in your office? And when Ken said no, Millie sounded surprised. She said, then where are you? Ken said, well, you made the call. Don't you know? She said, I don't even know what area I'm calling. I just dialed a number on a piece of paper. And Ken said, you won't believe this. I'm in a phone booth in Dayton, Ohio. And Millie replied, what are you doing there? <laughs> Ken said, answering a payphone. And Ken went on to draw this conclusion. I walked away from that phone booth with an electrifying sense of our Heavenly Father's concern for each of his children. What were the astronomical odds of this happening? With all the millions of phones and innumerable, innumerable combinations of numbers, only an all-knowing God could have caused that woman to dial that number in that phone booth at that moment in time. When Ken hung up the phone, he walked over to the restaurant and sat down with his family, still stunned. He said to his wife, Barb, you won't believe this, but God knows where I am. God knows where you are tonight, and he'll do anything to reach you. I want to encourage you as we sing one more song to cross over this bridge of faith. Not just any faith. Radical, unwavering, I'll do anything you want me to do, Lord, just as long as I know it's you, God. Type of faith so I can experience the supernatural power of God. You don't need an experience tonight. You need an encounter with God. You need to find out how to discover hope in impossible situations. I'll be around to pray. My wife will be around to pray. Some of our leaders will. Let's worship.